Mark chapter 16, many times I focus primarily on verse 16 of this chapter because without obedience to this command, man has no hope to salvation. But the verses before and after Mark chapter 16, verse 16, are rich with meaning for us today and should not, should not be forgotten. In this great chapter, the crucified Jesus who was laid in a borrowed tomb, he's risen from the dead. He, in Mark's account, is seen by many, but many of his own apostles don't believe. In verse 14, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And notice, and he rebuked them, he rebuked their hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. In Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 28 verse 16, Matthew confirms that some still doubted. Imagine, imagine being an apostle of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and he's done all these wonderful works in in your presence and he's even risen from the dead. You saw the man crucified. You saw him laid in the tomb. You saw the empty tomb. You saw him risen from the dead and yet you still don't believe. Why? It's amazing. Mark chapter 16 verse 15 he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And that's where, that's where the chapter stops. No, no, wait a minute. It doesn't stop there. There is more. Verse 17, notice this. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. What? I'm a baptized believer. There are a lot of baptized believers in this audience. Have any of y'all ever casted out a demon? Raise your hand if you've casted out a demon lately. That's what it says. That's what it says that we'll do. The baptized believers, they will be saved. And I believe I'm saved. But I've never cast out a demon. None of y'all have ever told me that you've cast out a demon. Today we're going to take a look at at demons. This is, a, this is a sermon from one of you. We're going to look at their definition. We're going to see a demonstration of their power in the first century. We're going to see the danger that they pose to Christians today. And then we're going to see the final destiny of demons. Demons. Let me, let, let me remind you at the outset that we're fighting a war. We're fighting a war and we're on the front line of this war. All of us are on the front line of a, of a terrible war. Just before Paul tells us to put our armor on, turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Just before he tells us to put our armor on, the whole armor of God, and he, he names that armor and, and what that armor will do for us. Just before he tells us that, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Hey, he's talking about demons. He's talking about the devil. He's talking about evil. 
He's talking about all this world can throw at us. And then he tells us to put the whole armor of God. This battle, this spiritual warfare, we need armor and we need to put it on. In every war, there are sides. And if we are on God's side, who stands across us in that virtual battlefield? Who stands across from us? Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 says, The devil and his angels, demons, that's who does. Satan is the prince of this world, John chapter 14 verse 30. And demons are soldiers in an army of darkness. Let me tell you about demons and how to escape their fate. Now there's there's only one devil, Satan, but there are many demons Demon means a knowing one. A knowing one is what demon means. Terms used to describe a demon are evil spirit, Acts chapter 19, verse 13. They are unclean, Mark chapter 1, verse 23. Their ruler is Satan, Mark chapter 3, verse 22. And in this war, we must remember that not every spirit is of God. Of the origin of demons... The Bible is silent. The Bible doesn't tell us where demons came from. And we cannot infer from a lot of the things that people believe today uh, that those things are true. There are a lot of false doctrines that are taught about demons today. There are a lot of movies and TV shows and, and they bring demons out from, from being from different origins. But of the dozens of theories on their origin, I'm going to present two to you. Just two theories, and I've decided on one of them, okay? Here's the first theory. Brother Steve Rudd, he says that after reviewing the historical historical and biblical data, he said, I believe that demons are most likely angels who sinned. And he cites 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. If you'll turn there, it says, For God did not spare, notice, the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. He cites Jude 6. In speaking of the land of Egypt, God did not spare those who did not believe, verse 6, and angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And then Brother Rudd includes Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9, where Michael fights with his angels against the devil and his angels. Now, that's highly figurative language and in Revelation, but we go over to the other side, the other, the other view that I halfway agreed with. Brother Woods, Brother Campbell, Brother McGarvey suppose that demons are departed spirits of evil men. That's what some brothers in Christ, Brother, Brother Guy in Woods, Brother Alexander Campbell, and Brother J.W. McGarvey 
they suppose that demons are the departed spirits of wicked men. Brother Woods, he quoted uh, Brother Campbell, Brother McGarvey, as well as the Jewish historian Josephus. He also quoted early Christian writers such as Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, and Origen. But this good brother nor the other brothers quote the Bible, as far as I can tell. The only one that quoted the Bible was Brother Rudd, and, and so I'll side with Brother Rudd on the matter. That angels are, that, that demons are angels that sin at some point in time. Of the definition of demons, I have a few more things to say. Sometimes we say, sometimes we say people are demons, don't we? Well, that little demon, he just messed up my yard. You've said it before. Come on. Uh, we're not having those little demons over the house again, I hope. Some of you grandparents, y'all might say that of your own grandchildren sometimes, don't you? Little demons. We use the the term, don't we? Sometimes we say it of our physical or or mental frailties. You know, if if somebody had a problem with drugs or alcohol, they may have said, oh, I, I finally got that demon out of my life. Right? Or maybe a physical ailment or a cancer or or some kind of operation. That demon has finally left me. We use that term many times. But demons of the Bible, they weren't physical frailties like we would think of today. Demons of the Bible, they were wicked spirits under the direction of Satan. They were opposed to God and they caused so much misery in the New Testament. So much misery. Let's look at some of the demonstrations of their power in the New Testament. In the uh, well, let's start in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy thirty-two, verse seventeen. This is part of the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses. In the Song of Moses, in Deuteronomy thirty-two, verse seventeen, God was angry with Jeshurun. Did you know that was another name for Israel, Jeshurun, because they sacrificed to demons and not to God. I want you to notice the pattern here that demons are part of, okay? Notice the pattern that demons are a part of. The psalmist, if you turn over to Psalm 106, verse 37, it says, They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. They were, they were following the, the false god Molech. False god Molech. And the false god Molech, he was a, a big, huge, bronze, hollow statue. Bigger than, the, bigger than this opening right here. And he had an opening in the back. And they would, they would build a fire in the back of Molech. The priests would. They would build a fire. And Molech stood with his arms like this. And the fathers sacrificing to the god Molech, would lay their little babies in the arms, the red-hard arms of Molech. And the people would beat the drums to, to drown out the, the cries of those little babies in the arms of Molech. They offered their, their babies that way. The Bible says, the psalmist says, they, it was like it was, they, were, they were dealing with demons when they did that. Demons. 
Further demonstration shows demons to be very intelligent and very powerful. Turn over to the New Testament, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he came with his disciples to the country of the Gadarenes. Gadarenes, verse 2. And when he had came out of the boat, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This guy lived in a graveyard, basically. It wasn't the kind of graveyard like we might see. This was a, a, a big uh, rock cliff, and it was full of caves, full of all, t- all kinds of caves. And these caves were used by families to bury their dead. And he lived in these caves, this guy did. He could break chains... They tried to bind him with chains. He was, he was super strong and he could, he could break these chains. And, and day and night, it says, he cried and he cut himself with stones. This man was miserable because of the demons that were inside of him. The demon that possessed this person tormented this person day and night. And the, and the name of this demon, verse 9, the name of this demon was Legion. There were many demons in this man. Legion was intelligent. Look at verse 7. He knew Jesus was God's son. He knew the power of Jesus. And he did not want Jesus to torment him. Jesus had the power over the demon. And he gave the demon permission to go into a herd of swine which promptly jumped into the sea. Jesus had authority over demons in another instance. Turn over to Luke 9. Luke chapter 9. When in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, he gave his disciples power and authority over all demons. He sent 70 out. Do you remember him sending them with a limited commission? And he sent them out to cure diseases. And in verse 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And then notice, you know, after... He has sent these, these disciples out to, to have power over the demons. Notice in chapter 10, verse 17, the 70 returned with joy saying this. Notice, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. But there is an instance, if you'll turn over to Matthew chapter 17, there is an instance that shows that just not the, the name of Jesus uh, himself uh, could, could be used, but Jesus himself had to intercede. Just, not just his name would do. The disciples tried to use Jesus' name to cast out this demon, and it couldn't occur. In Matthew chapter 17, beginning with verse 14, a father brings his son to Jesus to be healed. In verse 16, the disciple of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, they couldn't cure him. Notice verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long will I, will I bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. The disciples asked privately, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do it? And, and basically, uh, verse 20, Jesus says it very bluntly because of your unbelief. Then he says, verse 21, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus shows here that our, our faith must be active. Our faith must be an active faith. And that there are different kinds and different names of demons. Yet, of all these names and all these kinds, the Bible is silent. The Bible is silent. I remember, we talked about last week when we were talking about angels. It's okay not to know something. 
It's okay for the Bible to be silent about some things. One of these days we'll know it all. We'll have an eternity to, to find out some of these questions that we may have been asking. The Jews even said, if you'll look at um, John chapter 8, verse 48, the Jews even said Jesus was or, or had a demon. They called him a Samaritan and a demon. John chapter 8, verse 48. A Samaritan and a demon. I don't know what the equivalent would be in our day and time, but it wouldn't be nice, and I don't think I can repeat it from the pulpit. I mean, they called him something awful. You're a Samaritan and a demon, Jesus. Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Jesus declares himself to be God, verse 58. He declares himself to be the I Am. In verse 59, and they picked up stones to throw, but Jesus hid himself and walked through the midst of them. He, he made himself invisible, basically. I, that was a miracle in itself. He walked through the midst of that angry crowd that was willing to stone him because he had blasphemed as far as they were concerned. They thought he was a demon. The Jews thought he was a, a blaspheming demon. They saw Jesus' claims as idolatry. And idolatry is that common thread that we've seen. In the instances of demons, idolatry is, is married with, with demons. Idolatry, idolatry is certainly the main association with demons. Idolatry and other sins associated with demons show the, show the danger that demons possess Christians uh, demons uh, present the Christian today. As Christians, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, if you'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we did this morning, as maybe as some of you will do this evening, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, Paul writes, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. He says, you cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. In other words, you're, you're going to have to choose. When, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, it's important that you choose me or the world. Me or the idolatry. Me or, or what you want. And each one of us has to examine ourselves, Paul says later on in chapter 11. This echoes Elijah, what I quoted Elijah this morning in 1 Kings. If you choose God, we'll choose God. If you choose Baal, we'll choose Baal. Quit sitting on the fence. Hey, the devil owns the fence. Their association with idolatry in the Bible is made clear. Also, their doctrines... Or their teachings, the doctrines of demons are warned about. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8, even angels are to be accursed if they preach any other gospel. Timothy was warned, 1 Timothy chapter 4 beginning with verse 1, that in latter times some would depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And we can certainly see that being lived out in our lifetime. 2 Thessalonians 2 
Beginning with verse 8. The lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Remember now, we're soldiers. We're soldiers on the, on the front line fighting a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. The battlefield is, is in our mind. Romans chapter 7 verse 23. The side of sin and death is on one side. The side of Christ and eternal life is on the other side. And we all have to choose. We all have to choose. We must choose the side that we're going to be on. And the sad thing is, if we don't choose, well, we've chosen. (laughs) If you don't choose, if you don't act, if you don't decide which side you're on, you've chosen sides, even trying not to. You're on the side of the devil if you don't choose God. You're either for God or you're against Him. It's just that plain. It's just that blunt. Today, false doctrines and idolatry, they pervade our society. But what extent To what extent do the powers of demons come into our lives and come into play in our lives today? Do demons possess the living like they did in the first century today? Are people demon-possessed? There are certain modern-day demons... In quote, sin, of course, false teachers, false doctrines, evil people. But what danger do demons pose to my physical person today? Let me read to you a true account. This is from, from a brother in Christ. His name is Nay Reber. Brother Reber is a preacher in the Church of Christ. He wrote this about 1995, okay? About a personal experience. I was doing prison work, and I entered the maximum security prison. I was greeted by the chaplain. He was a charismatic, and he had a distress notice. He said, we've had a new inmate on cell block N2 who is demon-possessed. That's what the chaplain believed. He believed the, 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 the inmate was demon-possessed. He knows impossible things for him to know otherwise. The chaplain told Brother Niebuhr, Reber. Of course, Brother Reber says, I was skeptical skeptical, since I believed that demon possession was a temporary state permitted by God as a foil for Jesus to demonstrate the power of God against. I told the chaplain that I would visit him during the course of the evening and see if it was true. Eventually, I made my rounds and I got to cell block in two. As, I, as soon as I entered the cell block, I was greeted with a barrage of profanity and cursing and verbal abuse, the like of which this XGI had never heard. I chose to ignore it and went to the first cell like I always did and visited with the inmate there. He told me that that guy doing all the shouting was demon-possessed. I continued to follow my routine, enduring the verbal abuse thrown out of the cell across the hall, 
as I progressed each inmate, they offered me the same advice, warnings, and generally demonstrated that they were convinced that this guy was indeed demon-possessed. They seemed to be genuinely afraid of him. And I was told how he had run the chaplain off the cell block with his verbal abuse and apparently devilish knowledge about the chaplain's past. As I got closer to his cell, he began to shout things like, I know you, Nay Reber. You, you drive a red Chevrolet truck. You came a long way to visit this prison. You have two children, and so on and so on. He shouted things that many at first impression might think satanically inspired. Given the setting and the situation, I could see how such would be the impression one who was inclined to believe in demon possession. He might think that this thing was real. This continued until I finally reached his cell. Now notice, I looked into the cell and there was this individual sitting on the floor, drool running down one corner of his mouth, a crazed look in his eye. When he saw me at the door, he raised the intensity of his shouting, jumped up and dashed to the door. I looked at him a moment and began to laugh at him. He screamed and shouted louder than before. If possible, he he banged his fists against the door and really made a racket. I kept laughing at him. When he paused for a breath, I said, good show. How long have you been practicing? You should have seen the look on his face. At first, surprise. Then he grinned a little. Finally, he broke into a laugh. Then he asked, how did you know? How come I couldn't fool you like I fooled everybody else? I told him, I write to half of the guys on this cell block because they take my Bible course. They know a lot about me because I've told them a lot about me. You simply ask them about who came on the block and then parroted back the info to everyone as they came in. There's nothing supernatural about it. It was a good con, but you can't con God or a genuine student of the Word of God. Then I taught him the nature of biblical demons and how he was about 1,900 years too late. Some months later, I baptized him. I have no idea where he is now or what he's doing. He was transferred to another prison, and we lost touch. Are demons still present today? And do they inhabit the bodies of souls that are lost? Well, demon possession is not to be feared today. The destiny of demons is destruction. That's their destiny. The key to understanding this is back where we started. If you'll turn back to Mark chapter 16, we're going to understand demons. Mark chapter 16, looking at verse 17, it says, look, they will cast out demons, number one. Number two, speak in tongues. Number three, take, out, take up serpents. Number four, drink poison. Number five, heal the sick. Why? Verse 20, to confirm the word with signs. That's the reason why. Once the word has been confirmed, there is no more reason for the signs. You see. No. So the the question is, has the word been confirmed? Well, 
If you'll look at Hebrews chapter 2, I have it on the, on the screen here. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 3, it says uh, it, that the word has been confirmed. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed, notice, to us by those who heard him? God also, bearing witness both with signs and, and wonders, with, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. According to Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, all of the special gifts, such as, such as tongues or, or prophecies, were to be done away with. But verse 10, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. The perfect is the complete will of God, which we have now. We enjoy God's Word. We enjoy His complete revelation. We have no need for signs to confirm the Word anymore. Casting out demons was part of, if we notice back in Mark chapter 16, confirming the Word. You see, Satan and demons were bound by Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, disarmed, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle, spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. If you notice in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8, when Jesus ascended, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Symbolically, Satan was bound for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. Literally, until Christ comes back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Satan is a lion. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And it's like he's chained to a pole. He's still very dangerous if you get close enough. But... 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. God will not allow you to be tempted, but will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Hellfire is reserved for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, verse 41, that's their destiny. Hell is not for you. Hell is not for me. That's not where we're supposed to go. Don't be like the disciples. In Mark chapter 16 verse 14, who after knowing and obeying, still didn't believe. They still didn't believe. We must believe and be baptized before it's too late. That's the only way we can escape the destiny of that God has for demons. Eyes are ever watching you. Are they watching you from which side of the battlefield? Are you on God's side? Or are you on Satan's? You must make the choice. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to. You can be saved today, right now, as together we stand in prayer.